For the month of October, we're going to take a look at five reasons the Bible names for Sabbath. And we're going to do some Sabbath-y sorts of things together, which you can join in even if you're simply a podcast listener, in which case we're glad you're here and jump right in. Our kickoff is both the end of our series in Exodus and also our beginning of this series on rest. We have been walking through Exodus for 20-something weeks, and the series was called, Who is This Yahweh? But Christy Hodson and our group helpfully renamed it for us, Exodus, not a slog like I thought it would be. We have great branding at Pomona Valley Church. Who is this Yahweh? We're going to hold on to it one more week, if you don't mind. Who is this Yahweh? A God who not only chooses these people, comes to them, fights for them, leads them, saves them, frees them, but also a God who gives them new life. And a major marker of that new life is Sabbath. Why? Because that new life is meant to be, most of all, a holy one. And I cannot repeat this enough. Holy is not about perfection. It's not about sinlessness. It's not mainly marked by morality. Holy is distinct, unique, set apart for a purpose. Holy is a differentiator. To be holy is to be not like the others. Yahweh is holy, not like the other gods. Yahweh's people get to be holy, not like the other nations. Now, are some of the markers of that holiness moral? Yes, but at the heart of the holiness is to become a people who live in ways that match who God is. So this whole endeavor, becoming a holy people, it kicks off where Exodus ends, and that's with the final touches to the tabernacle by Moses. Up until now, God has been with them through all these experiences that they need to sort of get set up, and the completion of the tabernacle is like the launch. And so in Exodus 40, we find this final little story of Moses going through the tabernacle to finish the details. In Exodus 40, verses 1 to 16, God is giving directions to Moses. Put in the ark, screen it off with a veil, bring in the table, put bread on it, bring in the lampstand, set up the altar for incense, put the curtains of the doorway up, set up the altar for burnt offerings, put a basin of water in the right spot, hang another curtain for the gate of the courtyard. And then anoint everything with oil to mark it as holy, set apart, assigned to a specific and unique purpose. Likewise, anoint Aaron and other priests to be holy. They are set apart, not only from the other Israelites for their priestly role, but also the priests symbolize all of Israel set apart for the sake of the world. And when the Israelites look to the priests, they should see themselves. And then Exodus 40 verse 16 reads, so Moses did, according to all that Yahweh had commanded him, so he did. Verses 17 to 33 follow, repeating the identical list of setup, except adding on a note that tells us that Moses indeed did do those things. And as Moses does, a little phrase gets repeated throughout the section, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Then the story finishes with five words. Exodus forty thirty three. So Moses finished the work. So Moses finished the work. Tabernacle. Check. God's presence in cloud among them. Check. Holy God. Holy people. Holy place. But there was also throughout a holy process. 
And one marker for the holy process of building the tabernacle was that the people were not to give up the keeping of Sabbath for the sake of efficiency. Even while creating all of this for God, because God said so, the people were told very clearly by God, keep their Sabbath, quote, for it is holy to you, unquote. The instructions for the tabernacle, you might remember, take up a ton of scriptural real estate. And God tells them to keep Sabbath for a whole chunk of chapter 31 and another time in chapter 35. It was important. We're never just building holy places. We're living holy lives. And even as they are holy, distinct, and unique, they are real, regular lives. Here's what I want us to see in this final scene of the great Exodus story. Who is this Yahweh? The God who leads them from slavery to Sabbath. From exploited work to intentional rest. From an empire where you are nothing more than what you produce to a community where efficiency is intentionally disrupted every seventh day to remind and reconnect the people to who they really are and who their Yahweh God really is. Because who is this Yahweh? From beginning, the one who rested. Okay, ready for something cool? Our story says, On the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle at the tent of meeting. On the first day. And then the little phrase, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. So Moses did these things. It gets repeated, that phrase, seven times in verses 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and no, not 31 pattern people, 32. Seven times the Lord has said something to Moses and it happens just as the Lord had commanded. If it sounds a little bit like the refrain, and God said, and it was so from the Genesis poem, that's on purpose. God speaks and it is so through Moses on this first day. This is a creation experience. New life for this recovering group of formerly enslaved people. A life marked by regular rest. Okay, another something cool. In Genesis, it is not simply that God rested. God finished the work God was going to do. Genesis 2 verses 2 to 3 reads, by the seventh day, God completed their work, which they had done. And God rested on the seventh day from all God's work, which they had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it, God rested from all their work, which God had created and made. The work gets done, then it's finished, and then there's rest. Back to Moses. The work gets done. And in Exodus 40, 33, we read, so Moses finished the work and then there's rest. Not just for Moses, but for the people as they enjoy the tabernacle. But then John swoops in with his gospel. And when he tells Jesus's story, he starts in creation. John 1 says that all things came into being through him, the word referencing Jesus, and without him, not one thing came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And then when Jesus dies, John picks three words to mark and make meaning of that moment. John nineteen thirteen. It is finished. It is finished. Okay, why is this so cool? Because it helps us see that this holy, distinct, set-apart life God invites us to is meant to be truly Lifeful. I made that up. But every time we practice Sabbath, 
we choose to say it's finished. What's finished? Well, in Genesis, it's the emptiness and the chaos of the deep. Finished with that. Order in life and abundance here. In Exodus, it's enslavement to Egypt and its economy of evil. Finished with that. Freedom and a way to be together are here. In Christ, it's the end of the power of sin and death to be the final word in our lives and in this world. Finished with that. Life is here. And in us, in us, we also get to declare and practice and live as if some things that really need to end are finished. And maybe they aren't truly yet, but they will be. And we say, well then, you know what? For now, I'm finished with them. I'm finished with gatekeeping church life. I'm finished with patriarchal junk. I'm finished with work for your worth all the time until you're exhausted. I'm finished with we can't afford to be generous. I'm finished with play is pointless. What are you finished with? I sort of imagine God saying to them at first, be the weirdos who stop working in a world that claims it'll kill you to stop. And it helps me think about what I'm resisting to when I practice Sabbath. I'm a weirdo who says I'm finished in a world that claims it'll kill me to stop. And you can be too. We can because of a God who said it is finished first. It's finished. Come and rest in the presence of God. Come and play in the courtyards of the tabernacle. Come and eat fish on the beach. Be holy. The ones who stop in a world that never stops. Amen.